fine. Shut up! Stone dropping. Come on, this way. Where should we go? Let's throw it. Where? Throw the bomb over there. Throw it over there. Oh. Enough. There's a bomb. Put that down. Hey. Guys, no bomb. Nothing. Lady, you must be out of your mind. I'm about to bust you right now. I'm an undercover agent. Show me a badge right now. Here you go. Let me see that again. I, I, I didn't get a good look at that. Now, why did you say it was a bomb? No, you said that. No, you said it. You said that in the hotel room. I said she was the bomb. Today is Thursday, January 25th, 2024, and January 6th was a PSYOP. You may already believe that. I certainly believe that, but now we have the proof presented by Darren Beatty of Revolver News. Security footage that will blow your mind of the January 6th pipe bomber. This is indeed a bombshell, and we have it all exclusively for you here in the arena. Ladies and gentlemen, what do we know about Joe Biden? We know that Joe Biden will do anything for power. To prove that point, here's a photo of Joe Biden using his kid in a hospital bed as a prop. What had happened here? Well, Joe Biden's wife had died in a horrible car accident, his daughter as well, and Joe Biden used that tragedy as an opportunity to hold a press conference in order to boost his political numbers. He used his kids in hospital beds as props. That's little Hunter Biden sitting right there next to him in case you're wondering why that kid is so screwed up. Joe Biden has continued to use a tragedy in his family for political gain time and time again. What kind of person does this? Well, somebody with no soul, somebody with no moral conviction or compass. Here's Joe Biden lying about the death of his other son. Watch. Just imagine, I mean it sincerely. I say this as a father of a man who won the Broad Star, the Conspicuous Service Medal, and lost his life in Iraq. He's talking about Bo Biden, and while his son did die, and that's a tragedy, of course, uh, he didn't die in Iraq. He died of a brain tumor 10 years after leaving the battlefield in Iraq. Bo Biden was the attorney general of Delaware. At the time, he wore a suit and tie to the office. So what kind of a man lies about the death of his kids and what kind of a man uses his kids in hospital beds as props? Well, a person that'll do anything for power, a craven monster, somebody who actually won't acknowledge his own grandchildren uh, because he thinks it's politically inconvenient. It's seven grandkids, Mr. President, scolds the New York Times, the official Biden protection stenographers, they, they can't even stomach this. It's so diseased and it's so utterly repulsive and disgusting. Kind of like Kamala Harris's path to power as well. Remember Kamala Harris dated every boss she ever had in order to get political appointments like Willie Brown in San Francisco. And then Kamala Harris dated, well, other people. Here's a piece of footage that I'm sure Ms. Harris doesn't like that we're about to show you. Long before she met Doug Emhoff, she dated some prominent men, including in 2001, former talk show host Montel Williams. Back then, he was the famous one and had to introduce her to the paparazzi. Now the whole world knows who she is. So Kamala Harris had to date Montel Williams and Willie Brown, her boss, in order to gain power and notoriety. Joe Biden had to literally stand on the graves of his children in order to pivot for political power and in order to try and make you feel bad for him. And so the both of them, I guess, deserve each other. They'll do anything, cravenly, anything for power. This is perfectly, of course, crystallized in this moment at the DNC debates where Kamala Harris accused Joe Biden of being an old 
racist Jim Crow Democrat that didn't want her to go to school. She became vice president. Watch. Believe, and it's personal, and I was actually very, it was hurtful to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. That little girl was me. You prevented me from going to school, Joe Biden, because you didn't like my skin color, Kamala Harris says, right before being ushered directly into the vice president's office by Joe Biden. So if you'll have someone on your ticket, a diversity DEI hire, in order to gain power, if you will use tragedy that befalls your family, fatal tragedy, to gain power, if Kamala Harris will uh, sleep with or date literally anyone. Why did Montel Williams have another date on his arms? Like, wh what was that relationship? Has anybody ever asked Kamala Harris about that? What? Why did Kamala Harris have two women with him, both of them his girlfriends? Anybody ever? They pry a lot into Donald Trump's personal life. Anybody ever ask about that? What we're saying is that these people, of course, will do anything. They have total moral ambiguity. They will sell their own grandmothers or families or their bodies in order to get power. And so it strikes us as incredibly strange that people that are willing to do anything in order to get the leg up on a PR cycle have not used the fact that Kamala Harris was almost blown up on January 6th to their great advantage. Oh yes, ladies and gentlemen, Kamala Harris was within feet of a horrible pipe bomb at the DNC a evil white supremacist MAGA supporter planted that bomb in order to do horrible harm to the administration, Kamala Harris herself, Kamala Harris being the first black woman vice president. Don't ask her what a woman is. This was, of course, a direct attack on democracy. Now, this is on paper an act of terrorism. Obviously, somebody planted a bomb at the DNC and Kamala Harris was literally there. Yet, when Democrats, including Kamala Harris, describe January 6th. They use other terrorist attacks like 9-11 or Pearl Harbor, other acts of war, but not the actual terrorist attack that happened on January 6th. The bombs left in Kamala Harris's uh, circle, protection circle. Watch. Not only a place on our calendars, but a place in our collective memory. December 7th, 1941, September 11th, 2001, and January 6th, 2021. Okay, so September 11th, uh, Pearl Harbor, and January 6th, the same as those things, yet Kamala Harris has never once, not once, used the pipe bomb narrative to her advantage. Well, that makes absolutely no sense as the as Montel Williams's past girlfriend. What won't she do? Why wouldn't she use this for political gain? It makes no sense. You don't even hear her talk about it. In fact, when asked about it by the press, she lies about where she was during January 6th. Watch. 
that unfolded? I was at the Capitol that morning, and then I was um, in a meeting, and I was told that I should leave. And then I was taken to a secure location with my husband. We watched in horror. You are absolutely right. It was seismic. It was an inflection moment. You know, sometimes we think an inflection moment is the bringing of something that is positive. No, it was a, in many ways, a reckoning. It was an exposure of the vulnerability of our democracy. You know, there's only one person being exposed right now. And no, that is not a joke about Kamala Harris's past love life. This is not a joke at all, in fact. The only people laughing are shows like ours wondering why the hell hasn't Joe Biden or Kamala Harris talked about this pipe bomb. And it's because the facts of the pipe bomb are adding up to be a very, very inconvenient bomb of their own, exploding a pillar of narrative that has been pushed on you and me about January 6th. This is the official government narrative of the pipe bomber. Tonight, the FBI releasing new video of the person suspected of planting those pipe bombs the night before the Capitol riot. And the FBI officially confirming those pipe bombs placed at the Democratic and Republican National Committee headquarters could kill. These pipe bombs were viable devices that could have been detonated, resulting in serious injury or death. The video offering specific detail on the suspect's movements. At 7.40, the suspect seen walking along this residential street. Investigators interested in their somewhat unusual gait. Moments later, a person walking a dog passes by. By 7.52, the suspect has made it to the DNC headquarters. The suspect sits on a bench and appears to fumble with that backpack. A bomb is later discovered in the bush adjacent to the bench. At 8.14, the same suspect walking down an alley next to the RNC headquarters. A bomb placed there as well before exiting the area, walking past the Capitol Hill Club. So I've lived and worked on Capitol Hill. I've lived and worked in Washington, D.C. last 15 years. It is like minority report. The number of cameras, the number of eyeballs that are trained on you at all times, every hour of the day, every second of that hour. There are cameras everywhere, some of the highest quality, most sophisticated facial recognition cameras everywhere. And yet that's the best footage we have of this guy. That's it. They're private security cameras. They're public security cameras. They're security cameras on the DNC and the RNC. And yet the FBI hasn't released any information except for some of these grainy videos of this white supremacist MAGA attacker. So this white supremacist MAGA terrorist, we'll call him the pipe bomber. We're going to do you a bit of service here. We're going to help you find him. In fact, we're going to devote all of the efforts of this show to finding the evil MAGA bomber. We're going to do everything we can to make sure that this person finds justice. Like for instance, helping the FBI with their wanted poster. The FBI wants to give $500,000 to a do-gooder who wishes to find this individual who created these bombs, but presumably there would be DNA evidence on the bombs. You have to, have, you have to be pretty intricate to put together a pipe bomb. So presumably you could just start there, right? There are the bombs. There's his shoes. There's no DNA evidence on these shoes. Really? 
Really? This person, according to the FBI, got on the Metro and then took the Metro back out to the Virginia. Well, I mean, have you ever tried following the camera footage on the Met? Every single one of those cars has video cameras on it. He must have taken off his mask somewhere. Nothing? Interesting. There are so many cameras on Capitol Hill, you'd think there'd be better footage than this grainy Bigfoot Jurassic Park kind of shots of this guy. Again, guy planted a bomb that could have really hurt Kamala Harris, could have done something awful. So we want to find him. And for that, we're going to go to Darren Beatty. You see, Darren Beatty is somebody who has actually gotten some of the security footage of that day and has been sorting through it and has found some very curious, strange, and quite inconvenient to the official pipe bomber narratives uh, pieces of data when it comes to a seven-minute security footage tape taken from the DNC itself. In fact, the security footage tape, which has gone totally viral, shows that there was no panic about the pipe bombs and that there was actually some type of strange coordination in the finding of both bombs and the initial breach of the Capitol. It also shows utter indifference and a total lack of interest via Kamala Harris's Secret Service when they were told that there was a bomb in the vicinity of their protectee. Anybody who knows anything about law enforcement knows that when you hear something like that, you shouldn't just sit on your ass. But that is exactly what they did. Why? Why indeed? We're here to help. Gotta let you know. We're here to crack the case. And we're gonna find this evil white supremacist MAGA pipe bomber. And in doing so, we're gonna find the truth. And here to help expose who this person might be or what this op may actually be about is the great Darren Beatty of Revolver News. Darren, 15 million people have seen a seven minute clip, a security camera footage of the pipe bomb that was found at the DNC. That was found within a hair's breadth of Kamala Harris, but also children and people walking outside of the building. And yet you seem to be the only person that is actually bringing forward this narrative, the only person that is actually searching for the facts of this case. And that seems very strange to us because you'd think that an administration that is perfectly willing to utilize any personal tragedy or any event uh, uh, that may befall them for political gain would be seizing on this and would wish for every American to see this footage. Yet there's been a complete blackout on your bombshell revelations here. I wanna to get to the revelations in just a second, but I, I, that's the top line question. Why has nobody in the regime, why is nobody in the Biden administration or in with their corporate handlers in the media um, seized upon this footage that you've produced? Well, it's a fantastic question. And I'm glad that you provided that context because I think it's worth asking, it's worth recapitulating and emphasizing. Kamala Harris is one of the most politically opportunistic creatures on this planet. Why would she forgo the opportunity to milk for all it's worth 
the fact that she actually did, you know, so much of the narrative of January 6 as this domestic terror event is widely exaggerated to the point of absurdity. And yet the pipe bombs, which by the way, pipe bombs are technically classified by the government as weapons of mass destruction. The pipe bombs are the only thing that come within the same universe of something that we could describe as and recognize as terrorism. This is the most terroristic type element of the event that the regime was desperate to cast as an event of domestic terrorism. And the vice president, then VP elect, came within a hair's width of those pipe bombs, and then possibly losing her life to the pipe bombs. So the question is, why hasn't she, not only has she not milked this, she's kept it secret. She kept it secret for almost a year, whereupon it leaked out, but she still hasn't acknowledged it. And in fact, the DOJ in several indictments has falsely included the idea that she was in the Capitol building and she did not disabuse the DOJ of that. She has studiously covered up the fact that she was there when it would seem like it would be in her best political interest to do so to the extreme degree. Joe Biden, and it's not like they moved on from January 6th. They made it very clear that January 6th is a major pillar of their 2024 strategy. The theory of Trump and the insurrection is the sham legal basis they're using to remove him from ballots and so forth. Joe Biden thought January 6th was important enough to give a whole speech on the third anniversary of this day that he calls such a dark day and that Joe Biden, for that matter, neglects to mention that his own vice president almost lost her life to these bombs. So that makes us think, just that's the contextual table setting here is how dark, how damning, and how utterly embarrassing does the truth have to be for these salivating political creatures to leave that delicious bar of chocolate on the table and not take a nibble? <laughs> Think about that. Ordinarily, this would be the most talked about talking point you could possibly imagine, and yet it's the most closely guarded secret. Now, this video that you mentioned, I think will begin to give us a hint as to why. The video, and if if possible, it would be good to B-roll it, but it doesn't matter. People can go to revolver.news and watch the full video, or my Twitter, at Darren J. Beattie. It's super viral up on there, and hopefully B-roll here. But we have 1.05 p.m., January 6th. We have the video start with an individual approach, two vehicles parked outside of a garage at the DNC headquarters. Those two vehicles are Secret Service. One is a Metro PD car, but is on the Secret Service detail. The other is a black SUV that is Secret Service. This individual with the backpack goes and informs the people in those vehicles, informs Secret Service that there's a bomb within feet of them. The first thing that's weird, they're so unconcerned, they don't even bother getting out of the car for almost a minute after being informed of this. Then when they finally do get out of the car, they exhibit the most lackadaisical behavior imaginable, just kind of lounging about without a care in the world. These are Secret Service United States just informed of a bomb. They have no care in the world. They're lounging about like nothing happened. 
They're unconcerned for their protectee, VP Harris, VP elect Harris, unconcerned for their own safety. They're standing within feet of it. And then I think the big whopper from this video with many whoppers is when they actually, and this would be great to get this on the B-roll, it's, it's around um, 109, somewhere in the 109 mark. The Secret Service, they're all standing about, and there's a group of children, and they cross the street toward the bomb. And the Secret Service is standing right there, just simply allows these kids, here it is, simple, look at this. They're simply allowing these kids, the bomb is at the bench, by the way, for reference. Look at that. They walk right by it. Nobody gives a damn. And for that matter, that all these agents are unconcerned for themselves. It's clear that they know the bomb is not a threat. The only question is, how on earth would they know that? How would the Secret Service, Kamala Harris's Secret Service, know that this bomb posed no threat? And you know, a cute little detail, and I know this, um, a very reputable source who's seen the extended video. Remember, this is only seven minutes. And Thomas Massey had to pull Kevin McCarthy's teeth to get this out to the public. Capitol Police were very reluctant to release this. And they did it very quietly. You know, there's a whole media sensation about all the footage of the, you know, the Capitol with the firebombs and this. This is the most explosive footage by far that's ever come out on January 6th. It was quiet, of course, until, you know, we made it viral. But very important. Oh, yeah. And then finally, the end of the video, we'll see after the kids crossing, this is going to be around the 110 mark, a little bit after the 110 mark. We're going to see an individual's Capitol Police. He's going to walk right up to the bomb. He's going to snap a photo of it. He's going to give a thumbs up gesture. And he's gone. And for the first time in the whole video, we actually see them hustle. For the first time in the whole video, we see them scrambling to get out of Dodge after they got their nice little picture of the bomb, thumbs up. And guess what happens after that? The Kabuki Theater begins because this is unfortunately not in the video, but the video exists of this. It's just not public. They get a bomb safe robot to go and defuse this pipe bomb that moments earlier, they casually stood around. They didn't care about the VP Kamala Harris's safety, and they didn't care about these kids walking in front of it. They clearly knew it was a dud. Again, question, how did they know? But then they go through the spectacle and theater of having a bomb-safe robot. So this is interesting. It's interesting that this is Kamala Harris's Secret Service detail. It's interesting that Kamala Harris, as we said, against all political interests, cover this up. And you know what else is interesting? So this is the circumstances under which the bomb was found. It's crazy that it wasn't found for that long. This is 1.05 p.m. on the 6th. The FBI tells us in the surveillance footage they've released, say that the pipe bomb was planted the evening before at approximately 8 p.m. So that pipe bomb was actually sitting fairly conspicuously outside by a park bench. The one we're seeing now is the RNC bomb that was more carefully hidden. But the DNC bomb by that bench, that's fairly conspicuous. You're going to notice that. That was sitting out there for 17 hours undiscovered. Undiscovered by motorists, 
undiscovered by pedestrians on a super high foot traffic day on the morning of January 6th, undiscovered by the regularly stationed physical security guard who's usually perched right by those garage points. We proved that in an earlier piece at revolver.news. And then for the Whopper, undiscovered by the Secret Service of the United States, which is on record as having conducted a sweep of that area prior to Kamala Harris's entrance into the building. So all of these people managed to miss it in the course of 17 hours. That was such a bizarre fact. This was before we had this video. We've been reporting on this for years now. This was such a striking and bizarre thing that it was sitting out there 17 hours undiscovered, including by the Secret Service, that we had our investigative team look into the surveillance footage provided to see if we could actually confirm that the bomb was planted when the FBI says it was. And we found something amazing. We looked at the data and what we found shocked us. And that was, we proved definitively that the FBI is withholding, in possession of, and withholding footage from the camera whose angle would dispositively show whether or not the person planted the bomb when they said it was. That is definitive. That is 100%. That is simply logical inference, deductive inference. And people can watch the video explaining this on Revolver News. The FBI has not explained why they're withholding that. Furthermore, we've shown that that surveillance footage that they've released is tampered with, has a frame rate of 1.6 frames per second. The lowest commercially available surveillance cameras have eight frames per second. You drive, you go on a road trip, you're in the most middle nowhere place in the world. You find the most dilapidated gas station on the side of the road. That gas station is going to have at minimum eight frames per second in its camera. And we're supposed to believe the DNC has found like one of the three surviving surveillance cameras at an antique shop with a, <laughs> with a frame rate of 1.6 frames per second. And for that matter, why is the only publicly available footage of those benches that the FBI provided? This is DNC footage. How about we get the chain of custody of that footage and find out where the heck it was tampered with so as to prevent us from finding out who this bomber is? And you think, by the way, of all the Kamala Harris stuff, but you think the DNC, you think the Democrat Party itself would be a little interested in finding out this ostensible MAGA terrorist who planted an explosive device right outside their national headquarters. They are not interested in the least bit. So, you know, believe it or not, we've we've only just kind of, we're at takeoff, we're at 10,000 feet now. We're not even at cruising altitude in terms of how bad this thing gets, but I'll pause here because I've been going off. But to get the full picture of things, we have to, revisit the circumstances under which that first pipe bomb was discovered. The first pipe bomb was discovered and at 5.15 in the afternoon, Kamala Harris sent her first tweet about January 6th, one in a very long line, a library, in fact, of tweets that Kamala Harris has sent about January 6th, trying as hard as she can to crystallize this as the foremost issue of the election and the foremost issue of the Biden regime. Yet in none of those tweets, not including the day that she was nearly blown up by a pipe bomb or in any of the tweets since, has Kamala Harris mentioned that she was within a step of a bomb planted by a white supremacist MAGA terrorist? 
Now they've made up, Darren, deaths of police officers. They've made up narratives about Jacob Chansley and about every single January 6th victim. They have manufactured every data point and every narrative that they possibly can from Brian Sicknick being killed by a fire extinguisher to Ashley Babbitt letting that guy off. Yet they will not bring up the fact that there was a white supremacist MAGA bomber that nearly killed the first black woman vice president. You know, I Which, think we can only we can only draw one conclusion from this, and that is that the government, including Kamala herself, is a secret crypto far right Nazi Trump supporter who's just covering up, just just protecting her friends, right? I like, just, you know, the whole thing is <laughs> for the for the life of me. I for the life. I really, I'm really happy that you are uh, tw that you are twisting uh, this story and turning it on its gears because there's no, there's never been any explanation of Kamala Harris. Why was she at the DNC? No one's ever explained that. And no one's ever explained why she lied for a year about her whereabouts. Yes. And this yes. of course, in a, in a regime that will use the death of their, the death of their own children, Joe Biden lying about his son and I, uh, his son's death in Iraq. Um, they'll use any personal tragedy for political points. This just makes no sense. Absolutely. And here's this, another thing that doesn't make any sense. And this is this the RNC bomb. It's really actually not an RNC bomb. The parallelism between the RNC and DNC is kind of a retroactive fiction. The first pipe bomb that was discovered was discovered behind a trash can in a back alley by the Capitol Hill Club. Capitol Hill Club happens to be adjacent to the RNC, but there's no reason upon discovering it that one would immediately associate it with the RNC in the way you would immediately associate the DNC bomb with the DNC. So after the DNC one was discovered, people said, oh, RNC, DNC, it makes sense. You know, we're we're, uh, you know, in, I guess as a as a as a laudable concession to the uh, bipartisanship in Washington, we have a, a DNC and RNC. But the RNC bomb, this is the first one was discovered, we're told by a random pedestrian at 12.40 p.m. This person who discovered it, Carlin Younger, went into the Capitol Hill Club, went to a security officer there who just happened to have been actually a, a veteran of the Capitol Police. So it didn't go through ordinary police channels. They reported it through Capitol Police channels, which is interesting because the backpack guy who informs the Secret Service in the video we just watched is a plainclothes Capitol Police officer. That's just an interesting kind of detail. Maybe it's something, maybe it's not. But the Capitol Police begin responding to this first pipe bomb at 12.50 p.m., the initial decisive attack on the west perimeter of the Capitol, the famous Ray Epps breach, the Ray Epps at the bike rack with everyone who go through the bike rack, that's the first decisive breach that kicked the whole thing off. That happens at 1253. So the Capitol Police begin responding to the first pipe bomb at 1250. The attack on the Capitol happens at 1253, three minutes later. What's more, Carlin Younger reports when she discovered the pipe bomb at 1240, it had a mechanical kitchen timer with, a, a, there was an hour on it, but there was 20 minutes left of that hour. She said it was stuck on the dial actually of 20 minutes. So let's do the math here. 1240 plus 20 minutes, 
that's one o'clock. One o'clock is the exact time that the certification of the vote proceeding was to begin in Congress. That's a hell of a coincidence. So we're told to believe that these bombs, again, they were planted the evening before, we're told, and the surveillance footage suggests that. This particular bomb at the RNC or Capitol Hill Club, it was sitting behind a trash can in a back alley for over 16 hours before it was randomly discovered by Carlin Younger, basically to the exact minute as to be perfectly synchronized, not only with the certification of the vote, but with the first attack on the West perimeter of the Capitol. What are the chances of that? And then we notice in the video that we just saw, it's 105 when the backpack guy goes and informs the Secret Service of the DNC bomb and the DNC, uh, the Secret Service there is totally unconcerned. They clearly know it's fake. This happens at 105. That's scarcely 15 minutes after the first one's discovered. So that's pretty amazing. These bombs are sitting there for 16, 17 hours undiscovered and they're both coincidentally discovered within a 15-minute time frame that happens to coincide perfectly with the unfolding attack on the Capitol itself. This timing was so perfect that uh, the Capitol Police, head of the Capitol Police, Stephen Sun, advanced the theory that, look, these bombs were never intended to go off. These bombs were intended to serve as a diversion to divert police resources away from that attack on the Capitol and to the pipe bomb. And that's a very plausible thesis, especially because, as I mentioned, there's these mechanical timers with an hour. So the latest that the bomb could have gone off if they were planted the evening before was like 10 p.m. on the evening of the 5th, going off in a back alley somewhere by a bench. It's a total dud. It has no effect. It makes no sense. So, But the only issue with the diversion thing is how could the pipe bomber have counted on a random pedestrian, Carlin Younger, and of a random plainclothes Capitol Police officer discovering those bombs within a 15-minute window that perfectly coincides with the attack on the Capitol? The pipe bomber must be the luckiest person in the world. Instead of planting those bombs, should have bought a lottery ticket that day because he lucked out that those both of those bombs were sitting there for 16, 17 hours, and they were both independently, miraculously, coincidentally discovered in a 15-minute window, perfectly synchronized with the attack on the Capitol. How in the world could he have counted on that to happen? And nobody's uh, answered that question. And to the best of my knowledge, the FBI hasn't even asked that question. The Former head of the pipe bomb investigation, the FBI, Stephen D'Antuono, which Revolver.News first showed that this is the guy who oversaw the entrapment plot in Michigan. He went to Washington from Detroit where he oversaw the entrapment case in the Fednapping plot, the Michigan kidnapping plot. And this guy becomes the public face of the pipe bomb investigation. He retires in semi-disgrace. But then something really weird happened in June of 2023. In his retirement, he volunteered himself before the Judiciary Committee to answer some questions. Thomas Massey was good enough to compile some questions based on Revolver News' research on the pipe bomb. And D'Antonio had no answers for any of it. No answers for the surveillance footed question. He was asked if they used geofencing to identify the pipe bomber. They used 
geofencing and other instances in J6 very effectively. And his answer to that was pretty bizarre. He said, yeah, actually, we did try geofencing, but the telecom company in question came back to us and said for that specific time and place, the data was corrupted. And he literally, right after he said that, begged the, the stunned members of the judiciary not to entertain conspiracy theories. But for our purposes, the most bizarre thing he said was, I don't know who the person is who discovered the DNC bombs, and I don't even know if the FBI interviewed him. This guy's the head of the whole investigation for the FBI. He doesn't even know if they interviewed this person. And you'd think, and under any circumstances, that's 101 protocol. But when the bombs are discovered in such implausible circumstances, perfectly aligned and synchronized with the West Perimeter attack on the Capitol, for them not even to, and we don't even know if they interviewed Carlin Younger. He said, Stephen D'Antuono acknowledged that the people who discovered these bombs would have initially been suspects. He didn't say whether they interviewed them. And he certainly didn't say if they did interview them on what basis they were ruled out as suspects. So no one's really asked, how do you account for this incredible, this really like infinitesimally implausible scenario of the pipe bomb sitting out there for 16, 17 hours and getting discovered in the 15 minute, minute window that perfectly coincides with that West Perimeter breach? Now, here's where the dominoes lay, because if the pipe bomb thing unravels, which it will, this has reached escape velocity and the regime has moved from suppression mode to damage control mode. That I guarantee. But they're going to try, part of the damage control is they're going to try to contain this to the pipe bomb story and prevent it from metastasizing to other areas of January 6th. Now, as for revolver.news, the other major domain of January 6th we've covered is Ray Epps and specifically all of the Fed activity going on at that initial breach. Now, what an amazing thing that these two things are now going to converge, because if the pipe bomb thing was an op, which it clearly was, and part of that op was perfectly synchronized with that initial attack, that brings us, that demands that we revisit all of the damning information that we've exposed in relation to that first attack on the peace monument. They knew everything was going to kick off at the peace monument. They knew it was going to kick off at around 1250 to one. And that's why the pipe bombs just happened to be sitting around for 16, 17 hours and then discovered right at that time. It was all synchronized. And if the pipe bomb thing was a fed op, if that initial decisive breach at the West Perimeter was a Fed op, then January 6th is a Fed op, not an insurrection, a Fed surrection. And the whole pillar that the Democrats are leaning on to win 2024, not by democratic means, but extracurricular means, that whole pillar crumbles. And this false, malicious, ridiculous narrative they've been stuffing down our throats for three years blows up in their face no pun intended well i mean who knows if these bombs i mean apparently these bombs actually were working bombs do you believe that well here's another thing so there were forensic reports on these bombs and and the forensic report said that they had live explosive material this is from the national forensics task report and CBS covered this. 
This, by the way, is a full report that must be subpoenaed, and um, I think it will, um, uh, at least by Massey, but it's, it's a report that's been covered up for some reason. Um, so can we know for sure? No, I wouldn't be surprised if there was live explosive material, but there are ways to configure bombs so that you actually have a real powder, but it's not set up as a viable explosive device, if that makes sense. And in fact, that's uh, that particular type of configuration is is usually associated with um, uh, fed exercises and training exercises and things like this. It's a very suspicious type of configuration. Um, but this is speculative territory because I haven't seen the full forensics report. I have no reason really to doubt that there was live explosive material. Um, but I don't think that they were the bombs were uh, viable in the sense that explosive material has to be you know, connected in a way that it can actually detonate the bomb. I don't think it was connected in that way. Um, but that's something we would have to see the uh, forensics report for. But either way, I think the bombs were not intended to go off. And the smoking gun for that is really the timing of it. You know, if 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 they were if they were meant to go off, that would be one thing. But the fact that they were discovered within this 15 minute window um pretty emphatically suggests that, you know, that timing is not coincidental. I'm mean, Darren, what you're explaining here is just such a bombshell. Again, pardon the pun, but this is something that really cracks the case wide open. It all begins to unravel now, and you got to understand why Kamala Harris was sent to the DNC so that if need be, they could have an extra panic point, right? Like if they needed to have the narrative that Kamala Harris was threatened by a bomb, well, they could have used that. Um, and that could have been then their January 6th narrative that they ran with. Was this a contingency plan sending Kamala to the DNC? That is still such a major looming question. It is strange. And this now we're kind of getting into speculative territory that I want to resist a little bit because there are a lot of possible scenarios there. I mean, there's a scenario where multiple agencies are implicated. It could be that one sort of lower IQ agency thought it would be a good idea to do this, and they did it in a sloppy fashion. The FBI found out that the pipe bomber was actually like a, someone that would be super embarrassing to the regime's narrative, and then the FBI covered it up. So it could be that one agency or law enforcement department planted it and did the op and then the other agency covered it up. And, you know, there are a lot of um, configurations that are consistent with the fact pattern that we described, but any way you cut it, it's an op and it's not an op that can be just self-contained into, Oh, you know, it was a screw up this or that. The fact that it was perfectly synchronized with that attack on the Capitol indicates that it's much bigger than even just the pipe bomb thing that the key nodes of what January 6th is. If January 6th is anything, it's the explosive device. Because remember, that's the only explosive stuff related to January 6th. And that's, you know, the most domestic terror-like element of January 6th of these pipe bombs. And, you know, the initial attack on the Capitol that kicked it all off. Though if, if, if those two things were pre-planned ops, then January 6th is one big fat Fed direction op. There's no getting around it. It's game, set, match that just 
lines up perfectly. And hearing you describe it right here just crystallizes the constellation in my head for how the movements were orchestrated. So the bombs were planted by a federal agency, uh, perhaps stupidly or sloppily, but nonetheless in concise timing to pull capital resources away uh, from the building of the United States Capitol because the RNC and the DNC are offsite from the United States Capitol uh, and on really the other side of the block. Is this correct? Um, yes, they're on kind of side streets. And I'll note that just I, I wouldn't necessarily put all my eggs in the idea that it was a federal agency that did the initial op. It could very well have been a local agency. And there are a lot of kind of local D.C. agencies um, that I wouldn't be shocked if they were sort of took the first run at it and then the cover up was the FBI. There are a lot of configurations. I'll only say there is an individual called Donnell Harvin. Um, and I'm just saying this as an unrelated thing to, to uh, the agencies, but there's an individual, Donnell Harbin, who used to run the Homeland Security and Intelligence Fusion Center in D.C. There's a Washington Post report on this guy as the Nostradamus of January 6th. He said, oh, it's going to be a big deal. We're going to need body bags. We're going to need this and that. But there's one specific prediction his office made that I think people don't fully appreciate the significance of. But in light of our conversation, I think people will. And that is his office predicted that there could be explosives set on side streets near the Capitol to divert resources from the Capitol for an attack that could take place at 1 p.m. That's pretty dang specific. So this this thing was this side street explosive thing was in the air and it was in the air at the local level as well. Another interesting data point. Again, I'm just saying this as an interesting fact. We don't have to draw any conclusions for it. And I don't necessarily think Epps is involved in it, but I think it is weird that in the transcript of one of Ray Epps's interviews with the FBI, the FBI asks him, so why did you travel all the way to D.C. for this? You, know, you traveled mostly across the country. Why did you go there? And one of his answers was, I was worried that there would be an, a terrorist attack. I was worried that someone would set off explosives on the side streets near the Capitol. And what's really amazing, though, this, this is from the guy who is the first guy caught on camera saying we need to go into the Capitol on January 5th. Shortly uh, before the pipe bombs were planted, he was saying go into the Capitol. He somehow had this idea in his head. He said, the reason I went to, needed to go to D.C. in the first place, I was worried there would be a terrorist attack. I was worried people would plant explosives on side streets. But the most amazing thing is the FBI doesn't even ask a follow-up question about the pipe bombs. Imagine that. Like, that's the most natural fall. So, like... You had this, so this, the same guy who's saying we need to go into the Capitol on January 5th had some magical premonition that happens to pretty closely coincide with what the pipe bombs were. And furthermore, that this guy, Donnell Harvin, or at least his office, I think they attribute the prediction to an aide of his. But nonetheless, that specificity should... Um, I think that specificity is quite striking. I guess I'll leave it at that. In your 
Twitter thread, which again has 15 million views on it, has gone absolutely thermonuclear. Uh, it shows this um, indifference to the bomb until this moment that you brought up where they get the thumbs up. They have like the photo that's going to be plastered right on the media sites and they have their narrative set and then it's a, it's like an action call. There's no other way to describe it, right? And so how would all of those Secret Service agents know about this? I guess that would be my question. Were they briefed that there was going to be a fake bomb planted there? Like, for instance, in, in a just for a mental uh, game, if I walked up to the White House security gate, there is a Secret Service agent standing there. You can actually speak to them. If you want have a, you worked at the White House, if you have an appointment at the White House, that's what you do. If you walk up to that Secret Service gate right now, uh, of course I, please do not do this. But were you to do that in this metaphorical scenario and say, I see a bomb. I don't think the next reaction, and it's right there. Right. I don't think the next reaction will be a lot of like lazily rolling about for minutes on end right. as children and tourists are paraded around. I mean, right. you know, I think I know exactly what would happen. In fact, if yeah. that if the, a scare like that were to happen, you worked at the White House, you were surrounded by Secret Service. Um, right. Why the pro why the why the lackadaisical protocol here? You right. have to assume they just knew it was not a real bomb. Yeah, they clearly knew that. I mean, there's no question. Anybody who watches the video, it's it's manifestly obvious. They knew it was fake. So the question is, how did how did all these Secret Service agents know this bomb was fake? This bomb that was discovered and the timing that it was and all the other contextual details that we just went over. Um, yeah, very dirty. And, you know, no wonder Kamala Harris wanted to cover this up. She wanted to cover up her presence there because she didn't want people having this conversation that we're having now. And she certainly didn't want the things that this conversation and this report is going to lead to to happen because, again, this is going to blow up in their face. And it's probably going to happen in the next two months. So game theory, it sounds like you know something that perhaps you can't reveal for us right now. Game theory, where does this go next? You've been subtweeting Kamala Harris uh, recently and have been saying, TikTok, Kamala, we know the truth. What do you mean by this? Well, I mean, she's clearly hiding it. The, the The regime itself has been hiding it. All of the details that we just described uh, speak for themselves. But I think we're, we're again, we're at escape velocity and we've narrowed down this pipe bomb investigation to a place where there's only a few steps remaining. We're in the end game, like in a chess game, we're in an end game. And there's only, you know, a certain amount of moves left that have to happen. And, you know, people have to get in line. And frankly, one of my goals here, I'm glad the thing is, is mega viral, which basically means anyone who's, you know, uses Twitter for political stuff has probably seen this thread and come across this by now. And so the people who aren't acting on it, aren't acting on it for a reason. Um, but we really need the people like, you know, we need the GOP on board with this, I think, to get it to the final step. 
I would love to see senators on board. I would love to see people like Ted Cruz um, lend some air power to this because, you know, for better or worse, that's usually the next step. You know, for the Ray Epps thing, I happen to be on Tucker Carlson talking about Ray Epps and Ted Cruz was on right after me. So he got a kind of spillover segue question about Epps and only that random fact of kind of Tucker almost bullying him into addressing the Epps issue. And then he took it on. And then, you know, that's the next step in terms of there's like, you know, the the fighters, the frontline people. And then, you know, Cruz and some of these others are not necessarily the frontline people. But when they get into it, it reaches a different segment of the audience and has a different sort of uh, pressure effect. Um, so we need to move on from the front lines warriors to the people who can put this in a position where just the ordinary people, you know, everybody knows about it. There's there's no reason to be squeamish about um, moving this to the next step. And, you know, people think, oh, the the J6 is so toxic. We need to stay away from that. Well, look, people like Ted Cruz, your your ordinary GOPers are just as implicated in this false idea of January 6th as anyone else. They can't exclude themselves from this. So might as well utterly demolish the narrative that the Democrats have invested probably billions of dollars into at this point, we could destroy it with just a few extra steps. So I'd love to see the air support from uh, from those people who probably um, wouldn't be the, on the front lines for these kinds of things. But hey, guys, now it, it's safe to come out now. <laughs> it's safe to come out of the shadow, guys. It's safe. You know, we've done the legwork here. We're just in the final steps. It's going to be fine. We need you guys. You know, it would be great to you know, join the join the effort here. Um, and, you know, this is interesting because, you know, it's escape velocity. So the regime media, they're also, you know, they're wargaming this. How do we do damage control? We can't suppress. So we're in damage control mode. How do we have the least amount of stuff come out and how do we massage the narrative? How are you going to contain this to the pipe bomb so it doesn't metastasize into the other areas that I described? And incidentally, how are we going to prevent Revolver News from having a victory here? Because if this is such a big thing, if Revolver News gets the credit from this and the legitimacy from like, because we were on this story from the beginning. If we get the credit for this, that has spillover legitimacy that affects other things that we've reported in the past and things that we are going to report in the future. And that's, I think, very dangerous. So I think if it gets to the point where they're saying, OK, this is going to come out one way or another, I think they're going to try to launder and mas a massaged um, version of the final steps to a more domesticated media source that they can use that as the one that they hold their nose and reluctantly cite to try to at least prevent us from getting that significant legitimacy boost. Because if we get that boost, it's like the next thing we uncover, they're not going to be able to say, oh, these are just conspiracy theorists anymore because we're the guys who you know, crack the pipe bomb thing. So I think that's another dimension. There's a lot of damage control strategy going on right now in newsrooms and probably in uh, government buildings as well. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why you must read and subscribe to Revolver News.
Final takeoff question for you, Darren. What if the FBI came out and said, we found him. We got the pipe bomber. Here he is. This is the dude. MAGA12364 AFJXR. Uh, And they they arrested somebody. That would all depend on who it is. I mean, all these questions that we discussed will remain as they are. But if that were to happen, I would start with, okay, who is it? Yeah. We'll work from there. But seems like uh, that. You know, they charged Epps, right? Once it reached a specific right. velocity in... They charged him with a misdemeanor three years right. later, and they didn't even give him like the six months. He got... Not only do they give him a wrist slap misdemeanor three years after, but they don't even go... You know, they're not even committed to the bit enough that they give him a day in jail, which is quite something. It seems like the next conversation for them in a panic mode would be, we got to pin this on something. You know, we got to we got to scalp somebody for this and yeah. we got to go out. So we'll see. Darren Beatty is the one who is actually pushing this story to become the most viral thing in my timeline and is utilizing uh, the power of the reporting at Revolver News for good. God bless you. The truth shall set us all free. Right, Darren? So Indeed. don't be scared of the truth. Indeed. Thank you. Godspeed. The truth shall set you free, and uncomfortable truths are the most important because, well, darkness hates sunlight. Darkness hates being exposed. And what you saw on January 6th was darkness, but it was a reflection. In fact, what they were trying to castigate the MAGA movement for, they themselves are guilty of. Hatred of America, willingness to use violence for political gains, and believing the big lie. The big lie is that peaceful protesters stormed the Capitol that day in MAGA gear. The truth, ladies and gentlemen, is something much, much worse. Our own federal government aligned against its people, and there's a word for that, and that's what we're fighting. Fighting right alongside you, it's your boy Benny, and you are in the arena. See ya.